Yasas. Welcome to Greek Like Me, the podcast about all things Greek for Greeks, Hellenophiles, and anyone who's interested in learning about other cultures. I'm your host, Pamela Deodes Wood. Email us at stealthgreek at gml.com to share comments, questions, and stories about Greeks, Greekness, or your own ethnic background. We're back with another December episode. Very weird Christmassy legend. I was raised on some dark stories, but this is totally new to me. And I'm not the only one flabbergasted by this topic. I asked a few American friends raised by Greek-born parents if they'd ever heard of the Karikansuri, but they hadn't, even though it's still a thing in Greek culture. There are loads of supernatural beings populating the mother country, as we discussed on our November 2nd podcast on Grikolekes, Greek vampires. Now we're faced with a horde of demon goblins that swarm out of their dank underground lair to create havoc for Greeks during the 12 days of Christmas. Greeks are a happy, vibrant people, but when they go dark, manamu. If you're squeamish, first of all, you're probably not Greek, but if you're squeamish or have children listening in, some of the stories we're going to tell today might be a bit much. The Karikansuri populate all corners of Greece, although appearance may be slightly different from one place to another. For many hundreds of years, up to the turn of the 19th and 20th century, they were a very real cause for dread and anxiety particularly for the rural population, which was the majority of Greece at that time. Clement A. Miles, writing about world Christmas myths in 1912, said, Of all the supernatural Christmas visitors, the most vividly realized and believed in present day are probably the Greek Karikansoro. Karikansori destroyed property, thieved, maimed, tormented, kidnapped, and killed. In more modern times, they're seen as irritating little scamps who cause mischief. We have links in our podcast notes on our website of Christmas cartoons starring the little goblins. And there are songs. According to tradition, for over a thousand years, the Kalikansuri appeared during the darkest nights of the year to terrorize Greeks. Half human, half animal, they are black as night so they can disappear into the shadows, except for their penetrating red eyes. They're hairy, smelly, with huge heads, goat's ears, blood-red tongues that hang out of their mouths between their tusks. They have monkey arms, long curved fingernails that are more like talons, and the legs of goats or donkeys. Mostly they've been described as smaller than humans, but according to J.L. Tompkinson in his very entertaining book, Haunted Greece, a few were several meters tall. The tall ones had, quote, outsized bald heads, and outsized male organs. Karikansuri eat insects, snakes, mice, and rotten fruit. They are thonic, or chonios, of the underworld, which brings to mind death and decay, and after Christianity, references to the devil. So anything holy scares them. Icons, crosses, incense, holy water. Most of the goblins are male. One source, and only one source, claims they have a female leader, sort of like an evil den mother, directing their misbehavior. All year long, they live underground, or in the underworld, sawing away at the tree of life, which holds up the earth and keeps it spinning. Their goal is to destroy it, and in the process, destroy the earth. But during Bodhikoimera, the 12 days beginning with Christmas and ending with Theophany or Epiphany, the goblins are freed from underground, forget about their evil task, and invade the earth to create chaos for humans, who they hate, committing all kinds of mischief, crimes, and disgusting acts of vandalism, many involving bodily functions. Think out-of-control, drunken frat boys. 
I was confused by goblins being unleashed on humanity during these holy days, but the term used since the Byzantine era for this period of time was the dirty days. Christ has just been born, but not yet baptized. So during this time, the waters of the earth are unclean. Anna Wickman of Greek Reporter says, Christ has not yet been baptized and therefore cannot protect humanity from evil. What? Until Theophany. The day the three kings visited Jesus when it said that Christ was baptized and the goblins are banished back to the underground to begin again their efforts to destroy the tree of life, which has completely healed in their absence. While on the surface, the Kalikansuri are active only after dark. They can't bear the light, which represents goodness, safety, reprieve. The sun kind of affects them the same way it does vampires, melting, burning, turning to dust. But the 12 days of Christmas are short days, among the shortest days of the year, and the nights are long and dangerous. Quoting M.C. Lawson, who wrote extensively about Greek folklore in the early 20th century, from dawn to sunset they hide themselves in dark and dank places, but at night they issue forth and run wildly to and fro, rending and crushing those in their path. Destruction and waste, greed and lust mark their course. It has all the makings of a horror movie. Nightmare during Christmas. Homeowners don't leave furniture or tools outside or clothes on the line after dark unless they want them destroyed or contaminated. And everyone outside after dark is at risk, a target for the vicious goblins. The Kalikansuri beat and trample whoever they catch outdoors, sometimes carrying away beautiful women. There's a story from Spetsos about three women gathering wood, taking longer than they expected. One of them disappeared and couldn't be found until days later, when sailors on a ship passing by saw her standing on the rocks by the shore, dazed and unable to speak. They took her home and to a priest who exorcised her, and she was able to tell them she had been kidnapped by the Kalikansuri. I'm not sure how the other two women got off so easily, or how this one got away. The Kalikansuri taunt, torment, torture, and abuse. People walking alone at night risk being grabbed and forced to dance until they faint from exhaustion. For those who must travel at night, and many were forced to, the wise carried torches to fend off the monsters. Wearing a braid of garlic could repel them, or arming oneself with holy water. Leo Alatios, the 16th century Greek scholar, says new clothes can ward off the Kalikansuri. Is that why every Greek I know dresses their best for Christmas? New clothes are probably hard to come by in rural Greece in previous centuries, but I'm guessing best Christmas gift imaginable. It wasn't just people wandering around in the dark who had to be vigilant. Flour mills seemed to have been a favorite target. The goblins would break in and gorge themselves on flour and defecate on the rest. If they caught the miller inside, he'd be tied and gagged, sometimes gagged with feces. Ah. The Kadekansuri could enter homes through the door by knocking and attempting to fool the homeowner into letting them in. But they also came down the chimney and could pass through a keyhole. I'm thinking early renditions of the Western Santa Claus coming down the chimney were kind of terrifying to people in Greece. And Greece would be kind of terrifying for Santa back then, as every Greek kept a huge fire burning in the fireplace to prevent any visitors coming that way. The Kalikansuri would enter after everyone in the house was asleep and break furniture, steal tools, or anything of value, jewelry, clothing, drink all the wine, eat all the food, and urinate on what they couldn't carry away and defecate all over the house. Like Frikolakes, the Kalikansuri occasionally had the habit of sitting on people who were sleeping until they suffocated, 
But at least the Bricolacas didn't break up the place or poo everywhere. Some accounts say the Calicanceri would steal their victims' sexual energy. So during the 12 nights of Christmas, certain precautions had to be taken before turning in for the night. Maria Paravantes, whose website, The Greek Vibe, is a treasure of Greek travel tips and traditions, wrote a piece on these holiday monsters, sharing some of her mother's practices during the 12 days. All food would be tightly sealed against the Calicansori. The family paid attention to every noise in the house. Because the Calicansori jumped from rooftop to rooftop trying to find a way in and stole not only food but children, especially those born on Christmas Day, precautions were absolutely necessary. Paravanti says in spite of their penchant for eating vermin, the goblins love sugar, which is why many housewives would leave some sweets at different spots in the house to cajole them into being nice. But bribing the Calicansori is a more modern twist on the legend. In Cyprus, apparently fritters are thrown up on the rooftops for them, placating them so they'd go and bother some other less generous homeowner, I'm guessing. But the gruesome stories from a few generations back tell about a darker time. In Criti, the Calicansori were said to wear cradles on their backs made of thorns, used for carrying stolen babies back to their caves to drink their blood. Why do they sound like Lamia now? Demon baby killers of old. Criti is the only region where I read about blood drinking. Shepherds were at particular risk for the Calicansori because they often stayed out with their flock during the night or brought them back to the sheep pens after dark. The days were shorter. Grass wasn't as easy to come by in the winter, I suppose. I'm no sheep herding expert, even though it was my papu's profession before he came to the U.S. But there are several stories about shepherds tangling with the goblins, so being outside in the dark while shepherding must have been a thing. My papu was a teenager when he immigrated, so I'm imagining this kid sitting out in the dark during the 12 days of Christmas, worrying about being attacked by smelly demons. The shepherds would build fires to stay warm and repel the goblins, and there are stories of some returning home with burns because of the goblins scattering the coals in their faces. I presume when the fires were fading because goblins were afraid of fire. But the shepherds, like anyone else encountering these horrors, had to be careful not to speak to the Calicansori, as that would trigger an even more vicious attack, except for those who were extremely careful. Tompkinson's Haunted Greece tells about a shepherd who was out at the sheep pen after dark. As he tried to make his way to the house, the Calicansori surrounded him and began asking questions, taunting and insulting him. The shepherd kept quiet for the sake of his life, until the taunting drove him to lose his temper and tell the goblins to go to the devil. They immediately killed him. Getting inside before sundown was paramount. A torch and some garlic provides protection, but better to avoid any contact at all if possible. Once inside, the fireplace was key, as we've said, and it must burn continuously during the 12 days of Christmas, day and night. The goblins aren't about in the daytime, but these are the rules. And those rules sometimes get a little complicated. Some say the wood must be chosen by the head of the house. Is that a good luck thing? Are we getting into the unclean woman muskaka that some religious leaders insist on because they didn't like their mamas? Anyway, the wood is best from a thorny tree, since that's the ultimate for deterring demons. It's called Christ's wood, or Christoskulo. Sprinkle it with dried fruits and toss it on the fire. The dried fruits might be meant to attract the goblins, the better to snuff them. In some parts of Greece, two or three different types of wood are used. One from an upright male tree like cedar, says a Greek writer in Archaeology Wiki, who got a lot of stories from his yaya. 
The second wood should be something like wild cherry or pear, a tree with offshoots to represent the woman of the house. The third piece of wood is meant to represent the gumbado of the marriage, the efficient, like the best man. In some places, it's customary to throw wine onto the wood. In other parts, asparagus is thrown in there because it makes noise while it burns. In fact, the best woods are the noisy ones. Noise and smoke repel demons and snakes. Probably why incense is another good goblin repellent. And salt, which makes a crackling sound when it burns. I love it. Common household items that repel evil. In northern Greece, bonfires are still lit in the town square or at the highest point of the town. People gather around the fire to sing Christmas songs and ring bells, which offends the Kalikansori. In the old days, they were goat or sheep bells. Ashes from the fireplace are scattered around the four corners of the house, the garden, orchards, courtyards, stables, and fields to keep evil at bay. A bonfire sounds like a community stash of goblin repellent. Any wood left over from the fires after the 12 days are pushed into the ground by farmers to help their crops grow. If anyone is family who still follows these rituals, please message or email us. I find this fascinating. If the 12-day fire went out before January 6th, the Kalikansuri would not only be able to enter the house and cause all measure of mess and destruction, but would urinate on the spot where the fire had been, and Tompkinson says it would never be possible to light a decent fire there again. So I guess the bonfires had to keep going for the 12 nights as well, where the little devils would pee on them, and there'd never be bonfires in the village square again. These little monsters are disgusting and apparently have toxic pee. Paravantes shares her Baba's story of his mother. Paravantes Yaya would boil barley over the fire in the fireplace so the Kalikansuri would be drawn by the aroma and fall into the pot. Keep out of my house or we make goblin soup. Since parents used to tell the stories of the Kalikansuri to scare their kids into behaving, that Yaya's pot of barley story it's kind of a gorgeous bit of cultural tradition. Greeks are so extra. American and British parents are like, if you children are bad, you'll get a lump of coal in your stocking. Greeks are, behepedia, or the goblins are coming for you. And I can cook them. Another way to ward off the Kalikansuri is an action every modern Greek is familiar with, making the sign of the cross with a burning candle at every entrance to the home. Anthropologist Lucatos cited the chant of housewives in Cephalonia while making their doorways uh, with the cross. Christ is born, light increases, dark decreases. The act of marking the doorways is for repelling evil or putting a blessing on each entrance to the home. I grew up carefully guarding the blessed flame of my Easter candle on the way home from church at one o'clock in the morning in the car so Ma could reach her arm up and burn the sign of the cross into the top of every door frame leading to the inside of our house. It's the soot from the candle that makes the mark. We'll try to add a photo on the sources page. This is universal Greek that I didn't know had an extra added effect on rampaging goblins. There are other ways to fend off the evil Christmas marauders. Burning a smelly old chew would repel anybody, but it was a common way to protect the home from the Kalikansori. Hanging a pig jaw to the front door. There is no explanation anywhere I look for why this would work. If they're Greek goblins, they would eat pork, given the chance. Incense, as we've said, is highly offensive to them. Incense is a method of carrying our prayers to God. So, makes perfect sense. Direct exposure to the sun kills, as we've said, or tossing the kalikansoros into a bonfire. 
Besides being smelly and disgusting, the Kalikansuri are famously stupid, so the wise Greek might hang a sieve near their front door or a tangled ball of flax. The goblins are a little OCD and will try to count the holes in the sieve, never getting past the number two, because three represents the Holy Trinity, and saying that number would burn them up in a puff of smoke. So they will count one, two, one, two, over and over again, or try relentlessly to untangle the ball of flax, so intent that the sun will come up before they realize it and burn them to ashes. I have stories, folk tales covering many years collected by Alatios, by Miles Lawson, and Tomkinson. Many of the stories we're telling today are from Tomkinson's book. He collected them sometimes from, from the other writers. Check our sources page if you're interested uh, so you can find the book. There is a story from Skiros that took place on the eve of Theophany, so the night before the reign of terror was to end. A man was returning from the local mill with two sacks of meal loaded on either side of his donkey, and he was leading the donkey home. He was only part way home by sunset, and he spotted the Kalikatsuri on the road ahead. Quick thinking, he jumps on top of the donkey between the two sacks of grain and pulls an empty sack over himself. The goblins run up, but don't see the man they know was leading the donkey. Only three sacks of grain. They run back to the mill to see if he's there as the man coaxes the donkey towards home. The Kalikatsuri run back and forth a few times between the donkey and the mill until the donkey finally reaches home and the man leaps off the donkey and hollers to his wife to let him in. The Kalikatsuri chase him, but he gets in and the goblins bang on the door enraged. Typical me, I'm worried about the donkey. The wife calls out to them that she'll let them in if they'll count the holes on her sieve, which she lowers on a rope out of the upstairs window. Just before the sun comes up, neighbors see the goblins hanging around the front of the house, counting the holes on the sieve. They summon the priest who chases them down, sprinkling holy water at them. I mean, relentlessly chases them as they run towards their cave, finally splashing the foot of one, which promptly falls off. The goblin's foot fell off when holy water touched it, and it somehow limped away. Apparently, there's a spot in Skiros said to be where this happened. It is called Kalikantzaros Foot, and I want to visit there. Another tale of a wily would-be victim from Skiros. There was a young woman deliberately sent to the mill with bags of grain as the sun came down by her evil stepmother. The girl arrived after sunset to find the miller tied up and dead from fright, and the Kalikantzori were all over the place. They began to fight over her. She called out that she would marry whatever goblin brought her the best wedding gift. The demons scrambled out and started raiding whatever houses they could, bringing jewelry, beautiful clothes, and other desirable things, and then running back out to get more in competition with each other. While they were out on another round of pillaging, the girl ground up her grain, bagged it, and grabbed up all of the gifts that had already been collected. And she finally made her way home, and the evil stepmother saw all of the riches that Kalikansuri had given her. She sent her own daughter off to the mill to get some of the same. But the goblins stripped the second girl, dressed her in a mule skin with a mule's entrails for a necklace, and sent her back. The ultimate rejection, spurned by smelly goblins. The poor mule. In Athens, the Kalikansuri caught an old woman outside at night. Imagine, I imagine her to be a widow, whose children are far away so she has to handle everything on the farm herself. The Kalikansuri demanded food. The old woman agreed to let them raid her pantry. If first they let her tell them a story. She wove a tale so long and intricate, the Kalikansuri were completely engrossed, ignoring the first crow of the rooster because it was still dark out, 
They ignored the second crow as well. At the third cry of the rooster, the Kalikansuri screamed and skedaddled just as the sun began to brighten the sky. Greeks, everything in threes. We have more stories of goblins being outwitted. On Christmas Day, the first night of the goblin rampage, Greeks would normally be in church for liturgy on Christmas Eve, right through until after midnight Christmas Day. But one woman in this unnamed village had stayed home from church to cook the Christmas feast. That'll learn her. Go to church. Because suddenly, a creepy-looking child jumped up in front of her. She must have forgotten to put a pig's jar or a sieve on her front door. The creepy child grew in size to a full-grown calicansoros. This is the first and only instance of shape-shifting I came across. The goblin asked her name, and as we've already learned, answering a calicansoros can be a dangerous thing. But this woman answered, I, myself, and threw a pan of hot oil over it. The demon ran out, screaming into the night. When his gang, bent on revenge, asked him who had dared to do this, the Calicansoro said, I, myself, which only made his buddies taunt him for being such an idiot and burning himself. The woman had saved herself with a clever throwback to one of Odysseus's tricks, played on a raging cyclops. When the cyclops Polyphemus had demanded Odysseus's name, the wily Greek had answered, nobody. After Odysseus blinded Polyphemus, his screams alerted his monster brothers. They called him, asking if he was in danger, and Polyphemus shouted, Nobody is trying to kill me! So the Cyclops brothers said, Okay, and wandered off, and Odysseus escaped. I love that Greek mythology is woven into Greek traditions and legends throughout time. One of my favorite stories from Haunted Greece involves a midwife who was home alone after dark during the Twelve Days. There was a frantic knocking at her door, and she opened it, thinking it must be one of her patients in need. A strange-looking man covered from head to toe demanded she accompany him because he needed her services. The midwife grabbed her gear and followed him. As they approached a cave, he told her his wife was in labor and must give him a son. This reminds me of some of my uncles. She already suspected she was in the company of the Calicansoros when he told her if the baby born was a girl, he would hold her responsible and devour her. His understanding of how procreation works would rival a few current members of the U.S. Congress. The terrified midwife attended the demon's wife, and the baby was finally born. To her horror, it was a girl. I kind of resent this. The crafty midwife took a candle from her bag and warmed it until she could shape it into a little replica of male genitalia and stuck it to the demon's baby. This is so resourceful. She presented the child to the Calicansoros. The happy Baba rewarded her with a bag of gold, and she hightailed it out of there before he wised up. But I also love the story of the dancing Calicansori. We mentioned before that people out at night might be forced to dance with the demons until they passed out from exhaustion. But two old women from Calamata were more than the goblins bargained for. The women had gone off to a spring to collect water, but were late getting back, so they were forced to spend the night at a nearby mill. No explanation of why millers were so lax in fortifying their mills with pig jaws and garlic and crosses burnt at the doorways, especially since the mills were always prime targets. Come on, guys. The old women were sleeping in the mill, and the Calicansori broke in, dancing away like mad. They spotted the old women and forced them up to dance with them. But these ladies were ready for a dance-off. They took off all their clothes and started dancing away without any encouragement from the goblins. The Calicansori were so shocked by this behavior, they turned around and ran off, leaving the old women to sleep the rest of the night in peace. Yeah, yes, some gangster. 
Now we come to the horrifying question of where do Kalikansuri come from? What's their origin story? And it's kind of weird and all mixed up. Wickman mentions one possible source from ancient Greece, demon insects believed to be sent by evil spirits to destroy crops. Some folklorists believe the Kalikansuri were the natural evolution of the undead from the underworld as the Greek world became increasingly Christian. There was no fully shaking the stories of the Greek gods who had been worshipped for countless years, so pieces of those stories found their ways into local Christian legend. Hellenica.com points out that Dodecaimera goes back to the ancient belief that the souls of the dead were able to visit the surface of the earth during this time period. Hades opened the gates of the underworld for one of the many festivals of Dionysius, the god of wine and party time. During the festivals of Dionysius, his followers, and I guess anyone else looking for a good time, would dress up in masks and animal hides and get drunk. They'd harass passersby, play tricks on people, and there's an occasional mention of possible human sacrifice, according to folklorist uh, George Megas. Miles says the weird forms of these partiers, the noise, the over-the-top behavior, may well have seemed demoniacal. The costumes at that time may have symbolized winter or the souls of the dead returning to earth to pester the living. During the Byzantine era and after the fall of Constantinople to the Ottoman Turks, these costumes frightened people. Early on, maybe the revelers of the old religion took pleasure in taunting the members of the new cult in town, Christianity, which didn't go for debauchery. In later years, after the pagan religions had been outlawed, the costuming was taken up by men who enjoyed an excuse to go wild. Kind of like America's mischief night in some cities. It makes me think of the original Star Trek series episode, Return of the Archons. Everybody goes mad and misbehaves during festival. Fedanko Kuri said in his writings in the early 20th century that goblins were conflated from Byzantine mischief-making. There's still a custom in parts of northern Greece of dressing up in animal skins and going door-to-door to sing and accept gifts. Have a fritter, you demons, and be on your way. Megas says in some areas of Greece, people have dressed with hideous masks to scare off the Kalikonsori, but that sometimes these folks would walk around town scaring the kids. Now, these writers... Um, we're from the early 20th century. Uh, Tomkinson does mention some of this, but I, I don't know if people are still running around dressing like that and scaring people. Somebody's going to have to message me and let me know if that's still going on. According to Hellenica.com, the word kalikansuri was used by early Christians to describe pagan carnival goers who often dress like animals and look for trouble. And Magus mentions the early church possibly using the goblin legend to put an end to pagan partying. So some Western historians believe the Kalikansuri to be the cultural descendants of satyrs and centaurs, or Pan himself, which makes no sense to me. Pan was the god of the wild, shepherds, flocks. He was a freaky-looking god, but he was a good guy. Ditto centaurs. I've read Kalikansuri translated as beautiful centaurs, which is really crazy. The Greek word for this is similar, kalos kentavri, but kantaros means beetle which ties in with the evil crop-destroying insect, I could throw similar words, you know, similar sounding words at you that mean different things all day. So I don't buy the beautiful centaurs bit. That makes no sense at all. Satyrs were creepy, hypersexualized, mischievous drunks, so okay, I'll buy that. In time, an old wives' tale appeared and was believed by many that a baby born on Christmas Day was at risk of becoming a calicansori and grown. Tompkinson says this was punishment for the parents for sacrilegiously bringing a child into the world on the days on which Christ himself was conceived and born. 
So you're not supposed to conceive your child on the day Jesus was conceived. And you're not supposed to give birth on the day Jesus was born. I would think a baby on Christmas would be a blessing. But I can almost feel the Alexandros Nuna smack me in the head with her pandolfa and warn me it was the height of insolence to bring a baby into the world on the day that belonged to the Panagia, the All-Holy Mother of God. Listen, Maria is the mild, humble, loving saint of my childhood, so I really don't think she'd mind. But I was also raised that if you boast or try to steal the spotlight, you are bringing evil onto yourself. So maybe this is how this fits in. Don't horn in on the big day for the mother of God. Some sources say a baby born any time during the 12 days of Christmas is at risk for turning into a galicansaros. I am one of those. I was supposed to be born on Christmas. I was born the day after New Year's. So maybe explains a lot. And FYI, anyone born on a Saturday could see and talk to the demons. If you are so irreligious to, as to become a mother on Christmas, you must act immediately to nip this potential demonization of your child in the bud. Binding the new baby with lengths of garlic or straw is a must, and singeing the baby's toenails will absolutely prevent the child from ever turning into a calicanser. 16th century writer Aliato says parents must burn the soles of the baby's feet and remove their toenails, because babies without toenails can't become goat-footed calicanseri. The Encyclopedia of Vampire Mythology says the child born on Christmas will become a goblin if it is not immediately bound up in garlic and straw and held over a fire until its toes are blackened. And that's why Child Protective Services was invented. On Zakynthos, one of the Ionian islands, only a Christmas Eve birth was forbidden. On Santorini, one of the Kikladis islands, it was believed that Yaludas, the vampiric female demons we talked about in our vampire episode, were actually the rare Lady Calicansori, who were born on Christmas Day while the day's gospel was being read in church. As adults, they would sleepwalk during the 12 days near ponds and streams and drown anyone they encountered. The potential victim would wake them up immediately if they wanted to survive. But if their mothers had thought to nail a blessed palm onto the front door at the birth of the child, all of this could have been prevented. Elenica.com says the goblins may have been people who had never been baptized or had committed terrible crimes that turned them into monsters. Leo Latios faithfully cataloged Greek myths and legends but personally believed the Calicansori were the result of indigestion after 12 days of feasting during the holidays. He says they have the characteristics of a nightmare. And I would think living in the dark in rural Greece would just be a scary proposition altogether. Real or imagined, Greeks are finally released from the fear of injury and torment from the nasty little goblins on January 6th, the Elphany, or Epiphany in the Western churches. Then, armies of priests head out to visit the homes of their flocks bearing incense, a handful of basil leaves, and a bowl of holy water to bless the houses. In the old days, fields, fountains, stables, and bodies of water were also blessed to counteract the goblin pollution. I don't know how much of this goes on in Greece. We get our houses blessed. But Avantis calls this a custom of spiritual rejuvenation and inner cleansing. The Calicansori call it the time to skedaddle back underground, re-enter the underworld from whatever caves or tunnels or cracks in the earth they came from. Lawson included in his work a poem written from the point of view of the goblins. And I don't know who wrote this poem. Quick be gone, we must be gone. Here comes the pot-bellied priest with his censer in hand and his sprinkling vessel too. He has purified the streams and he has polluted us. This was apparently made into a modern-day children's song. 
Share it on the Delphiguide.com. Flee, so we can all flee. Here comes the crazy priest with his bundle of basil stems and leaves, dipped in holy water. He sanctified us and wet us and burned us away. Every January, Greeks invite their priests to their home to bless all the entrances to the house, every room, the attic, the cellar, and even their cars. It feels good, like the house is swept clean of everything negative that's accumulated over time. The Kalikansuri were maybe a symbol of all that, according to Baravantes. She says they come once a year to forcefully remind us that when we are off guard, negative energy has a way of sneaking in and throwing us off balance, pushing us away from inner harmony. The blessing of the homes is a beautiful tradition. It's cathartic and comforting, a nice chance to connect with your parish priest in your own home and show him a little appreciation with a nice lunch and a bit of glico. And as an added bonus, it chases away everything dark. And it kind of feels that way. But in the meantime, keep the Yule log burning, mark those crosses into the doorways, and keep a braid of garlic handy, because you never know what is making that bump in the night. Merry Christmas, Gala Christuyana, belated Happy Hanukkah, blessed winter solstice, joyous Kwanzaa, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year, Kwanzaa Thanks for listening. Greek Like Me is a Stealth Greek production. This episode was researched, written, and narrated by me, your host, Pamela Diaries Wood. Our producer, photographer, and post-production editor is Douglas John. Thanks to Eduardo Gill for research help. Visit our website at stealthgreek.com for resources, photos, links, and more. Please rate, like, and subscribe. It helps us get noticed so we can keep making content about Greeks and Greek culture. Find Greek Like Me on Facebook or on Instagram at greek underscore like underscore me. See you in 2024. Yes, us. <laughs>